We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, as it's Monday, May 1st, 2023, and boy, do the Chicago White Sox need to flush the month of April down the toilet. Despite a miraculous seven-run ninth inning capped with Andrew Vaughn hitting a walk-off three-run homer to beat the Tampa Bay Rays on Sunday, the White Sox are 8-21 and as they lost 10 straight games at one point. They are 0-8-1 in series play, and they are already nine games back of the Minnesota Twins in the American League Central. In this episode, we'll talk about Pedro Grafal's first month on the job, the drama surrounding Luis Robert, and the dumpster fire, that's the White Sox bullpen. Plus, we'll preview the upcoming series as the American League Central leading Minnesota Twins arrive on the south side. Joining me is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com. It's Jim Margulis. And Jim, let's talk about Sunday real quick. That was one of the wildest games I've ever attended in person. I know you took the day off to teach curling, which I don't blame you, mm-hmm. but you caught up watching the game on MLB.tv. So what was that experience for you watching the rerun of what transpired on Sunday. Well, it's one of those that's a little less special when you know how it ends and you, yeah, I I knew very little about how the innings progressed. I saved myself that, like I, I heard that there was a fun, bad event in the eighth inning, but I did not look into it uh, and, and did not know about Romy Gonzalez's drop. Like I managed to preserve that for myself I didn't know who set up the various uh, or what event set up Andrew Vaughn's home run. So, you know, that was a surprise. I did not know about Kendall Graveman's sneaky retaliatory plunking, which I like, you know, as somebody who enjoys the retaliatory retaliatory arts of baseball, when, uh, you know, when, you know, in a case like Zach Eflin hitting Luis Robert, like completely uncalled for and childish, like, and, and not getting a chance to, pay it back because warnings were issued like very good uh 
plunking, purpose plunking, uh, negated by Gonzalez dropping the ball in left field. So that was new to me. So it was fun seeing the individual elements like those weren't ruined. But yeah, I would have liked to known what it was like watching it, having zero clue, having zero hope that the White Sox would actually pull it out. So what was that like? So being in the stands, while it had been raining since like the fourth inning and it got really cold. So we're soaked. Mm hmm. We're wet, it's cold, it's a miserable viewing experience. Just wild. And when the Rays were up 9-5, to everybody just felt like, yeah, it's over. But then the Rays are trying out their worst relievers into the game. And it's like, you know what, this is going to get weird. Because the last time the White Sox faced this guy, they scored like four or five runs off of him. I think that's the inning that the White Sox walked like six times. Yeah. Like, this could get weird. Yep. And uh, it got weird. And the fact that Adam Hazley went, what was he, four for five? And he reached on his out. Yeah, and he reached on his out. Uh, so he was an on-base machine uh, coming through with the big hit. Uh, to tie the game. And then here's Andrew Vaughn coming up to the plate, and they go to another lefty to face Andrew Vaughn. There is an opportunity to walk Vaughn to get to Romy Gonzalez, but Kevin Cash decides to move forward. To me, that just felt like Tampa Bay doesn't care about the outcome of this game. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> like, they're cold, they're wet, they're miserable, they won the series... Let's just get out of Chicago. Like, whatever. If Vaughn gets out, then we go to extra innings. We try to win in extras. If Vaughn takes him out, then we lose. Doesn't matter. We're off to a fantastic start. Like, that's how I feel Tampa Bay handled that particular at-bat. Because they could have just intentionally walked Vaughn to bases loaded and then fa faced Romy Gonzalez. Uh, they didn't do that. And, and Vaughn just absolutely smashed it. It was just a, a bit surreal because this bullpen, and we'll talk about the bullpen later, the defense, like, it just unraveled again, mm -hmm. again on the Chicago White Sox. Like this entire series against the Rays is just like things are going okay. And then things get weird and then things melt down really quick, like Chernobyl quick on uh, just how quickly things could turn around for the White Sox against the Rays. So good riddance. The White Sox don't have to face the Rays uh, for the rest of the season. But that was a, a wild a wild final three innings between the White Sox and Rays on Sunday. Yeah, knowing that Gonzalez was on deck during Vaughn's at bat and, you know, because I knew that Vaughn was going to end it when I watched it, I didn't really worry about the game getting Gonzalez. But, you know, listening to you talk about it and, and thinking about it a little bit more, if Gonzalez came to the plate, you know, on one hand, you'd like to see a remarkable comeback completed. On the other hand, like, Gonzalez has to be going to Charlotte, right? Come Tuesday, like... DFA'd. Assuming, you know, yeah, or, you know, assuming Anderson and, and Alberto are back, you know, they're, you know, he's got to be a corresponding move. But just, like, thinking, like, you know, I, I want it to be, you know, abundantly clear that he needs to head down to Charlotte or otherwise just because, man, he's got nothing. He's bad. There's no other way to put it. I mean... Looking at his stats this year, Romy Gonzalez, 139 batting average, which is the same as his on-base percentage. He's slugging 194 because he hit a triple off of a position player pitching. <laughs> 14 strikeouts, no walks. Like, that. this is not a major leaguer. 
and he dropped yeah. that ball in left field. I had to take a lap. I had to take a lap when he dropped the <laughs> when he dropped the ball in left field. When Raylo got when it appeared very early that Ronaldo Lopez was struggling and something was off, and the fact that Grafal did not have anyone else warming up in the bullpen just gave me strong Robin Ventura vibes. And we'll talk about Grafal in a moment in this episode. Uh, so I definitely want to revisit that. And somehow, some way, the White Sox win this game is just bizarre, especially how they had lost two games in this series where things just got out of hand. But they won. They snapped the losing streak. Huzzah! Maybe things will turn around. Probably not. Mm -hmm. Because let's talk about the biggest takeaway from this series. And suddenly there is drama surrounding Luis Robert. You mentioned it. There was something weird going on in Toronto with Robert and Eloy Jimenez, with Robert cutting off Jimenez. There was a play in this series at Tampa Bay, which Gavin Sheets would not allow Robert to call him off. And Sheets cut off Robert in a fly ball to right field. And then on Saturday, Robert hits on the very first pitch of the game, a slow roller and it appears like if he runs full speed, he's going to beat it out for an infield single. He doesn't run it out. Sitting in the stands watching the video, my first takeaway is Robert's hurt. There is something weird here because he really comes off the accelerator as he gets towards first base. There's a lower back. There's a hamstring issue. There's something wrong with Luis Robert. And then in the stands, we hear about it was a managerial decision to bench him. Everything erupts on social media. The press conference, the post-game press conference from Luis Robert was really bad for him in his explanation. And he did not play on Sunday, but he did pinch hit and he got hit by a pitch and then was O2. lifted by got hit by O2 pitch and O2 pitch. Yeah. And then he got lifted for Romy Gonzalez. So it was like the Roger Dorn of plate appearances to pinch it and then get hit by a pitch and then get lifted immediately. I don't know what's going to happen with Luis Robert this upcoming series against the Minnesota Twins. But now, all of a sudden, Jim, we got drama around Luis Robert. And I'm a bit concerned. How are you viewing this particular situation, especially in how quickly it unfolded from Saturday? It's strange. Um just because last year with Robert, you know, it was a frustrating year for him. He had some highs, then he had some lows with the vertigo, dizziness, virus, vitamin deficiency, whatever it was. And then the wrist that he gamely tried playing through, although he had no business playing through it. And he was so visibly hurt that it should have never been his call. Like, we, you know, seeing the stubbornness come back with him hiding a hamstring issue like that doesn't surprise me watching the way he played through the wrist thing last year and even though he was letting go of the bat with the wrong hand saying like no I can still play like no you can't you 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 cannot like this is you you yeah kind of like you are lying to me as you were saying that and it, it that had good intentions I think just wanting to prove that you know he's not giving up on this team but somebody you know, had to throw in the towel for him this time around um worse like this is Definitely worse. Yeah, I didn't buy the dogging it thing just because like he he sprinted out of the box. Usually when a player dogs it on a play like that, the head immediately slumps, it, you know, drops the bat, starts jogging without looking at the play to the left side. And not then like halfway down the baseline, realizes like, oh, I can beat this out, is sprinting towards first base and is out by a couple steps when normal hustle would have gotten the job done. Like that's the way it usually takes place. So I didn't buy dogging it. And when Griffal benched him, 
I thought, you know, still didn't seem like dogging it. Like, yeah, I can see Griffal believing that or thinking it looked too bad for him to continue playing in the game. But then afterwards, yeah, just, you know, it's, it's partially, yeah, I would say it's Robert's fault in terms of not disclosing the injury, but it's such a blow for what the White Sox said Pedro Griffal would bring. Uh, you know, what Rick Hahn said Pedro Griffal would bring to the White Sox. That, you know, open communication and cohesive clubhouse and pregame preparation. And, like, there's no communication here. Uh, there's no sign that you, you mentioned in the postgame press conference that Robert didn't seem to know Charlie Montoyo's name or, you know, blanked on a little bit, which is concerning. And then, you know, pregame preparation, batting a guy lead off who is hurt. Uh, massively slumping also, you know, but who is, you know, has a hamstring issue. And Robert's going to Elvis Andrew saying like, you need to cover pop-ups in shallow center. And he's telling, he says he's telling Eloy Jimenez that he needs to cover uh, some ground in the outfield, even though Jimenez is DHing that day. Uh, I don't, it's just baffling. And it's almost like he's checked out or mm-hmm. yeah, I would say he's checked out, but then he's, you know, stealing fly balls away from Jimenez for no good reason. Like it's, it's hard to put a, you know, you can describe some actions with a phrase, but not others. Like I, I'm having a hard time, you know, speaking of cohesion coming up with like a catch all adjective or phrase description describing like every way he's being weird. Maybe there isn't a way uh, to describe the, the catch-all gym. Maybe there isn't. And I jotted down in my notes, like it does feel, I agree with you that Luis Roberts seems to be checked out and that's not good. <laughs> he's obviously that's mm-hmm. not good. He's one of the most talented players that the white Sox have. And when he is good, he is really good. When he's bad, he's really bad. And right now, he's really bad for the Chicago White Sox. And But you still want him manning center field. But, like, we've been through this before. Again, this is our 10th season podcasting. We have seen star players for the White Sox check out. None bigger than Chris Sale. Now, I'm not saying Luis Robert is going to take a hunting knife and start cutting up jerseys before a game. <laughs> but... It does make me wonder moving forward, what is the level of play Luis Robert is going to bring to the White Sox? Because it's really odd to me, and we'll get more into Grafal here in a moment, but it's really odd for me when Grafal in that press conference says that he benched Robert for not running out that play, but Robert's a hard worker. Like, Grafal sounds like Tony the Rusa there. Like, he can never say anything bad about any of his players. And yet he can't be fully honest with the outside anyone outside of the clubhouse how he truly feels about the players on the roster. You need to have a really good relationship, especially with your best players in the clubhouse. Luis Robert is one of your best players in the clubhouse. And it, when he's in a press conference and he's got to ask Billy Russo, who is the bench coach's name? I mean, I mentioned on Twitter, but if you want to see someone having a meltdown, I thought Chuck Garfine was going to blow a gasket on live TV when watching Luis Robert's reaction, or at least Luis Robert's uh, post-game press conference. And the fact that Robert's not having open dialogue with the coaches, even though the coaches speak Spanish, and that was a big thing when we talked about. Like, And you mentioned, like, there is no, there's no language barrier on the communication front between the White Sox coaches and Luis Robert. Like, why does Luis Robert not feel comfortable 
speaking to the current coaching staff for the Chicago White Sox? Like, that is the question that I think leads to the root cause of what is going on with Luis Robert Jim. Because if he just doesn't feel he just doesn't feel confident, he doesn't feel close, he doesn't trust the White Sox coaching staff. If he's just here to show up, and if his name's in the lineup card, he'll go play and he'll play his style of baseball. The White Sox have a problem here. Well, yeah, I wonder if he uh, was comfortable talking to the previous coaching staff, given the wrist thing last year. Like, he might not have talked to them, and maybe Jose Abreu was a lot more, you know, not I shouldn't say a lot more, but when you, you know, heard here and there about, like, Jose Abreu's impact, maybe his impact was just, like, helping people show up to work on time or, you know, in, in the right frame of mind to actually contribute to the best of their abilities. The thing with Robert, like, you know, and the thing is, you can't necessarily say he's checked out either if he wants to play while he's hurt. Like, a, somebody who's checked out would say it can't hurt, got a hamstring, you know. Okay, good point. Uh, but yeah, my, so, I mean, like, that's why I checked out. Like, he's checked out meant, you know, or, yeah, he's he's absent mentally in a lot of ways, but not entirely checked out. So that's why it's it's tricky. Like, he's a, you know, he, he contains multitudes right now. And I, you know, the, the thing with Robert, you know, we can say he's one of their best players, but how much has he actually proven? Like in a season like this, he still has a lot to prove unless like, you know, getting the payday is really the, you know, has has sated that drive to be, you know, to put it all together, which I don't think is necessarily the case either. Because again, he's trying to play Hurts, which somebody who, you know, felt like he could coast wouldn't necessarily do. But yeah, it, it's a mystery right now. And I was happy to see Hazley step up uh, and, and, you know, contribute because he, you know, it's, it's been odd. Like Hazley has never been played even, um, you know, with LaRusse the last year, he was always around or like when he was around, he was around, but like he barely played. And when he played, he took out Danny Mendick. And, uh, I don't think that Hazley is going to be an important contributor, but it's just weird how he's been around and like how no coaches have trusted him. I kind of feel bad for the guy a little bit. So, you know, getting some playing time and actually using that playing time to come up with some big hits and some big moments, and maybe allowing Griffal to bench Robert another day without saying like, we're putting a, our, our worst lineup in place. That's the problem with like benching Robert outright up until this point with, you know, Jimenez when he was hurt, Anderson hurt, Moncada hurt, you know, taking out Robert to be punitive just makes your team theoretically worse, especially defensively. Uh, if Colas is not hitting and then has to cover center field, makes your team worse. So Robert has to play and Griffal has to play him. But, you know, it, it feels like Griffal is stuck and it feels like, you know, listening to his press conferences that he's stuck and he's trying to be, you know, I, I referenced it in my post on Sunday morning saying like he, he doesn't feel like the White Sox real dad right now. He's trying to be like, he, you know, hey, it's okay. You know, you, you know, we're going to get through this. It's, it's an adjustment period, but, you know, Rick Khan and I love each other very much and we're going to be here for you. Like, that's kind of what it feels like. And, and they're testing him. That's, that's, you know, when, uh, you, you know, you hear about, uh, you know, children rejecting parents are trying to test them and see like, you know, let's push this guy's buttons and see if we can get him out. Like that's kind of what it feels like they're doing to him. I don't know why, but you know, it gets to a point where if Robert is lying to Griffal and making Griffal look foolish in a press conference, because Griffal speaks first, he presents his side. And then Robert shows up and basically says, no, I'm lying to him. I, I lied to him. You know, I, I don't necessarily show a lot of regret about it. Nah, you know, 
I'll try to play tomorrow. And, and that seems like it crosses a threshold. Uh, and even if it's like, you know, uh, necessarily not that big of a deal or I mean, I'm blowing it up. Like it makes Griffal look bad to the fans because now Griffal has been presenting this reality mm-hmm. the whole time about how, you know, flushing games and saying that the white, this is better than the white Sox, uh, uh, or, or, you know, these errors we've seen are not the white Sox way of playing in that, you know, they can turn it around. This doesn't feel like a lost season. And then, you know, Griff, you know, he says something about Robert and Robert undermines it. And we're left like, you know, what are you going to tell the truth about what's what we're seeing here or, or, or say something that's closer to what we're seeing here. And I think with Hazley stepping up and providing at least another day to be in the lineup and, and sit Robert a bit more, if Robert needs to think about it, like finally gives Griffal some recourse to maybe put a foot down a little bit. Yeah, Robert, after the month of April, 28 games played for the White Sox, 28 out of the 29. So Robert has been available almost every single game for the White Sox at 108 at-bats. Robert's OPS is 661. He started off red hot for the White Sox, and he's really cooled off in the last couple of weeks. He's hitting 213 with a 254 on base percentage and slugging just 407. He hit five homers. That's second most on the team behind Jake Berger. But 33 strikeouts to four walks, that's problematic. Six doubles. He's not really stealing bases. He only has one stolen base on the season. Something seems off with Luis Robert, and it came ahead this weekend. We'll see on how the White Sox and how Luis Robert handles the situation moving forward. But if the White Sox are to turn this season around, they need Luis Robert. They need prime Luis Robert in the lineup, in the field. If they don't have that, then, yeah, this uh, 2023 season could get worse for the White Sox. We're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsors, but coming up next, we'll evaluate Pedro Grafal's first month on the job and discuss the dumpster fire that's the Chicago White Sox bullpen. One reason why I hate buying tickets to anything these days is the waiting room. You know that feeling. You get the pre-sale code and even if you got the pre-sale code and you log in, you're stuck in the waiting room with thousands of other people not even sure if you're going to get a chance to buy tickets. Buying tickets to any event shouldn't be stressful and that's why I've switched and used game time. It's the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater shows near you. I use it to buy concert and theater tickets now for Chicago events. You could use it. It's also great for Major League Baseball games as well. They have some killer deals, especially when it comes to White Sox tickets as game time is the place for last minute ticket deals. Forget planning months in advance. GameTime has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event, and you can get exclusive flash deals on tickets for the baseball games or any of the comedy and theater shows that will be happening all summer long in Chicago. And what I really like about GameTime is that they have the GameTime guarantee, which means you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section and row for less... Game time will credit you 110% of the difference. That's why it's one of the fastest growing ticketing apps in the country for a reason. So snag the tickets without stress with Game Time. Download the Game Time app on your phone, either for Apple or Android devices, create an account, and use promo code SOXMACHINE for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account on Game Time and redeem code SOXMACHINE for $20 off. Download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. Welcome back to the Sox Machine Podcast. Like we mentioned in the intro, the White Sox are 8-21. and 21. That is a really rough way to start 
if you are a rookie manager like Pedro Grafal, that in the first 29 games as manager, your team is 8-21, and 21, and that includes a 10-game losing streak. You haven't won back-to-back games yet in the season, and that means the team's 0-8-1 in series play. And evaluating Pedro Grafal after the first month, and we just talked about it before the break, he's already got a pretty big... One, he's already got a huge problem. He's got to get this team... Back to winning a lot more baseball games. If this team is serious about contending in 2023, they need to have a huge month of May to start climbing out of the hole that they have dug themselves into. He's got the problem with Luis Robert, but watching his first month, Jim, like how do you evaluate Pedro Grafal? I don't know if you could necessarily grade him, but like, how are you feeling about Grafal after the first month? How do you evaluate Pedro Grafal? That's, my, you know, it, it feels hollow to say that and need to say that, but that's my answer to that question is, I don't know. I mean, part of it is he feels like he's in over his head, but I also don't know if it's like he just happens to be the guy who's holding the bag when uh, all of the White Sox, many, many problems uh, just organizationally, everything that's accumulated over the years, the whole two years of Tony La Russa masking bigger problems with the White Sox roster just comes to a head and he's the one in charge. And, and he just got here. He doesn't know what we've all seen. He knows a little bit because he kind of roasted the White Sox to Rick Hahn. It seems like that's why he got the job is because they were uh, on the same page with how you know poorly they thought the White Sox were prepared. But... You know, there's that aspect of it is just him being um, in the wrong place at the wrong time. But, you know, I think Liam Hendricks's you know, cancer diagnosis, him being out, um, watching Reynaldo Lopez be thrown to a closer role, not even closer role, like high leverage guy. Like that's what's kind of struck out and jumped out to me is like Grafal doesn't have a traditional bullpen hierarchy, but he has a clear idea of who he wants in the highest leverage situation. So if Lopez, uh, if the game gets to the ninth and Lopez hasn't been used, Lopez will be used. But if it's seventh inning and the three, four, five hitters are coming up, like he goes to Lopez for that to try to get out. And it really hasn't worked, but it could be a case where like Lopez is not Liam Hendricks or he is not, uh, because he has a fastball and because he doesn't really have a great breaking ball and he has fly ball tendencies. Like he could be a bad, uh, idea for closer role because he's too vulnerable to not not necessarily bad ball luck but fly ball luck bad fly balls at the worst possible times uh leaving the yard uh because you know Liam Hendricks had that problem but Liam Hendricks also got a ton of strikeouts which Lopez doesn't get with the same ease so but then you know Graveman looks rocky bummer start of the spring hurt isn't there Joe Kelly hasn't been available and that's all collapsed on him too and it's hard to say that's his fault, but it makes him look so overmatched. You have, you know, all the guys getting hurt and, and Romy Gonzalez. Yeah. I guess I would pin Grafal on evaluating Romy Gonzalez the way he did, because, you know, I think he's been part of the Romy Gonzalez hype train, but you know, the lineup disappearing after five guys because of injuries, you know, that's not his fault. Yeah. That's the white Sox sticking with guys who've gotten hurt the previous two, three years. So I don't know, like how, how do you evaluate him when, all the flaws are flaws we've seen with different teams, just worse because either 
you know, the pitchers, like say like the, with the rotation, like there, there is no Johnny Cueto this year. There is, uh, you know, Dylan Cease is not a Cy Young form pitcher right now. Lance Lynn has taken a step back. Like all these guys have, um, backed up on him and, I've seen a lot of not revisionist history, but just wondering in, in retrospect, like were people too hard on Tony LaRussa or were, did Tony LaRussa do a better job than we thought, even if he didn't do a good job? You know, did he go from abysmal to mediocre with just watching the way they played under Grafal? And I think LaRussa had better players this, uh, last year. This year, like players have taken a step back talent wise and other players have gotten hurt and just the lineup shortens up so much that, it's a, it's a bad team. You know, that, that's, I think what, you know, people watch this you know, team in the first month said like, this isn't a good team. And, you know, that just might be Grafal's, um, you know, a little bit of Grafal's fault, but also just, if he's got a bad team, then their record is close to what it probably should be. I think there's enough talent here. Like losing Tim Anderson, Yon Mikata, that's a lot to overcome for the White Sox, but there's still plenty of talent for this team. It's just, I, it's way too early to feel this way, but I think I'm out on Grafal. Like I understand why Kansas city went in another direction and they didn't keep someone that has been part of the organization. As long as Grafal has been part or was part with the Kansas city Royals, that the Royals went to the Tampa Bay Rays pipeline to hire a new manager and bring in some of their coaches to turn things around. From what I'm seeing, as far as the communication, obviously that's still an issue. And maybe that's more on the players and the coaching staff, but your fall's not mm-hmm. winning them over. And as far as preparation goes, like it's still the same problems. Even though you have Grafal and like three hitting coaches, this team Two and a half. still chases too much. They don't walk. They hit... They hit way too many ground balls. Like, they are not breaking through with the players on hand. And I know it's just 29 games, but this is a really bad-looking 29-game sample. Mm -hmm. And it just makes me wonder if Grafal's never going to win these guys over. And then what? You're building a new team for Pedro Grafal in 2024, 2025? I don't even know. Nobody knows if Grafal is a good manager. I do know that these guys, these White Sox players, if healthy, can win you 93 games because I saw them in 2021 do that. That's what I know. But to move forward and build your team around a rookie manager because you like the way that he thinks, even though what he says publicly is not showing on the field, Like, this team is a mess. Yes, players are underperforming. Yes, injuries are still there. But I don't think the White Sox are better prepared. There's still an energy problem with this team. And man, when things things start to melt down for the White Sox, they melt down in a huge way. And he just doesn't know what buttons to press Mm -hmm. to stop a disaster from unfolding. I think... He might be a little over in his head right now. Maybe Tony La Russa, if managing these 29 games because of his experience, can navigate these troubled waters better than Pedro Grafal. 
But this is a really bad first impression, Jim, after the first month, too, to be at 8-21, and 21, not winning back-to-back games. It could, I think it could get a lot messier moving forward. It could get a lot messier, too, if this doesn't get better. And in June, we're talking about players getting traded, and he's given a, an even worse roster to work with. Like, his job immediately was to win over the core players, get them, to use Tim Anderson's words, pulling on the same string, everybody buying into the new methods here because these new methods will get you back on track. And instead of getting back on track, the train has completely derailed. And I don't know if I want to declare this season over, but it feels kind of over going into May, especially with the White Sox already being nine games back of the Minnesota Twins. So if this was like Shark Tank, I'd be Mark Cuban. I would push back in my chair and say, I'm sorry, Pedro, but I'm out. I'm not investing. For those reasons, I'm out. Uh, (laughs) I, I think with... I think with Griffal, I'm not necessarily, yeah, I guess whether I'm in or out feels less relevant than the idea that one, you know, based on Rick Hahn's media session, like it, yeah, I wouldn't count on Rick Hahn losing his job, but this is the kind of season where somebody like Rick Hahn could lose his job. Like there is, it all goes to the front office at this point when, you know, you bring in a new coaching staff and they're still having the same problems. Like Griffal's not getting through, but also like maybe this roster is unsalvageable and even a manager who really wants to be there and a coaching staff of uh, external hires and people who actually interviewed and such are, are not getting through. You know, I've likened the White Sox to a Blackberry and it's like they try to do firmware updates to try to, uh, keep up with the iPhones of the world and Samsung's and such. And just not it. Nope. It's just, it, it's an outmoded platform. It, it can't hang with anybody anymore. No matter what you do to it, nobody's going to be buying it. Um, and, and it should be shuttered. And I think with this start, like there is the chance that like Han and Williams could go, maybe Han's the only one that goes because Kenny doesn't go anywhere. You never know, but just, this would be the start that does something to the front office. And if that happens, then Griffal is gone just because one, like you said, he's not doing anything. He's not winning anybody over. I also think there's the matter of losing creates like a certain amount of scar tissue. And I think that's why rebuilding managers don't make it past the rebuilding stage just because everybody remembers the losing. And even if they try to forget it, like Rick Renteria, like he got past the losing, got a contending team, it was a weird 60 game season, but I still think there's like the accumulating frustration with all the losing that happened to where when things start to go south again, uh, the frustration just uh, mounts and uh, maybe not bad blood is, is too strong of word, but just they're tired of them. Like we're done. I don't want to do this over again with you. And they look for a different manager. And I think Rafal if this is the way it goes and there isn't some kind of massive turnaround coming, that is so much scar tissue of just when we needed you to deliver or when we needed your team to deliver, they did anything but. And that is, you know, we can't, we can't, you know, maybe like if they rebuild and got the roster completely, I'll stick with them if Han and Williams are still around because they just don't want to make their process look so bad if this was the guy they were proud of and then have to bail on him after one year. I could see, you know, sticking with him for pride reasons, if nothing else. But 
you know, should the roster have any kind of ambition or a new front office come in with ambition, they'd look at him and say like, you guys blew it when we needed you to show up and we can't risk happening that again. I was expecting Grafal to have a similar impact that Robin Ventura had for the 2012 White Sox. Like say what you want about September, but for a rookie manager who's never managed before, Mm -hmm. Robin helped stabilize the clubhouse for sure. After that 2011 breakup between the White Sox and Ozzie Guillen. And that team was at first place for like halfway through September. Like they were in position to win the American League Central and go to the postseason. And we all know about the September collapse. That's kind of what I was expecting with Grafal was like, get everyone to buy in, get them all focused, get everyone pulling on the same string. Let's wash away the bad vibes of 2022 and let's have a good start to the season and let's get back on track. Instead, it's worse. It's way worse than 2022. And now you got people, you got a lot of White Sox fans asking me, how does the 2024 Major League Baseball draft look, Josh? <laughs> like <laughs> We're not even through the 2023 Major League Baseball draft. Like, I just, <laughs> it's a tough gig. It was a tough gig walking into this, especially for a rookie manager. But it's not like your fall is coming from Tampa Bay or Houston or Atlanta or the Los Angeles Dodgers. Like, give it time. This guy has been part of some established organizations that have won. We'll get this figured out. No, he comes from Kansas City. And I'm sorry to use this against Pedro Grafal, but like the last winning season for the Kansas City Royals was 2015. Mm-hmm. That was eight years ago. Eight years ago. We were over at Southside Sox the last time the Royals had a winning season. So it's not like Grafal is coming from a winning organization. And for him to, you know, he says those things and you, you were highlighting or hinting at it before Jim and that, well, I've seen losses that break teams back. So they never recover. We're not there yet. I don't know if I want to see what there looks like after an eight and 21 start where a team loses 10 straight games. So yeah, I just, I'm not feeling it. I, I I'm not feeling Grafal is going to win over these players and if if he does, I'm I don't even know what that looks like. But right now, I am greatly concerned going into the month of May that Grafal may not be the guy. And I know it's way too early to say that. And we've done this again for a long time. And you need like hundreds of games to get familiar with a particular manager. But this just does not seem to be a good fit with what the White Sox currently have for players in the clubhouse and Grafal. But maybe nobody that the White Sox hired as manager, Jim, would have been a good fit. At this time, I'm thinking probably not. Like, I'm thinking, like, maybe Bruce Bochy maybe would have worked. Although, you know, the White Sox probably didn't have a chance of hiring Bochy because he went to Texas. He had a connection with Chris Young. That seemed like the place he wanted to go. And given that the White Sox have problems landing, uh, highly sought after commodities, uh, you know, whether it's because of what they pay or because the reputation precedes them, what have you. Like, uh, I don't see the way the White Sox would have gotten Bochi in a year where he's interested in the Texas job and Texas has that job open to him. But let's just say that Bochi is around. Like, maybe he's like Larusa in terms of gravitas and rings, but is still 
healthy enough to do the job. Like he's not taking naps. He's not, you know, he can project his voice to be heard. You know, he can see that a player is visibly injured and doesn't ride them into the ground uh, like he did with Robert and Larry Garcia. So there's, you know, a case where maybe um, one more shot, but it also feels like just it's it was too late. Like the learning about the roster in terms of what the roster needed to get over the hump had to take place in 2022 and they couldn't do it. You know, La Russa couldn't perform his job. They they looked briefly better under Miguel Cairo, but they you know missed an opportunity to do a midseason firing scene. Like there would have been you know, the thing is the thing that came out about LaRusa's health afterwards and, and during the whole season, like they could have said that just health complications. He's he's having a hard time getting through a season. He needs to undergo evaluations. Like they could they could have done that somehow gracefully, not been like firing him, not saying like this is a Hall of Fame manager who is not good enough for us. Like based on everything like Lance Lynn said and Joe Kelly said after the season where they're basically managing themselves because LaRusso wasn't physically capable of doing it. Like they could have found some way to uh, end it sooner, but because Reinsdorf uh, tangles chains of command, like there's no way for them to do it. But that felt like the year where the White Sox had to learn what they had. They didn't. And now uh, they're a year too late from correcting some mistakes from getting out of uh, a roster that has four DHs sometimes, you know, three of them playing in the field. It is a mess. And yeah, I think Griffal just, he's probably a, a replacement level manager. Like that's kind of my, my view. Like maybe it'll change after a month and he gets his sea legs and maybe I'll have uh, a, a better idea of putting like a number on him, but just, he feels like any manager at this point. And, you know, kind of like Ethan Katz talking about him, like he feels like any pitching coach at this point, um, you know, he feels to me like, you know, going from Ethan Katz, uh, going from Don Cooper to Ethan Katz is like going from Kenny Williams to Rick Hahn. You initially are, you know, um, impressed by say, him hearing modern sounding things from a pitching coach or a position where very odd and, and outdated things were said and uh, the, the returns were diminishing. But then you, know, after a couple of years, realize like, oh, the job's not getting done. And yeah, Griffal kind of feels like the same thing. He's saying the right things. They had some ideas, but they're not showing up and he just does not have the personal pull or the experience to help a team this flawed um, be better than, you know, I guess maybe like they can be better than what they've shown, but based on the work they have to do to dig themselves out of this hole and get over 500, they're not going to be, I don't think they're going to be that good. They're going to show that well to all of a sudden be 20 games over 500 the rest of the way. Maybe my thinking is flawed, but that's just kind of how I feel right now. Podcast listeners. And and again, I <laughs> shark tank for those reasons. I'm out on Grafal. What would make Grafal's life a lot easier Quite frankly, everyone's life a lot easier that watches and covers the White Sox is if the bullpen stopped being a dumpster fire. This is a fantastic reason to fire Rick Hahn right now with how poorly this bullpen has been pitching, especially with the amount of money mm -hmm. that Rick Hahn has thrown at the bullpen. An update. The bullpen has a 6.86 ERA for the season. That is easily the worst in Major League Baseball. At home... The entire White Sox pitching staff has a ERA over seven. And they have allowed 31 home runs at home this season. And the bullpen is just 
awful at home as well. I'll I'll look this up real quick, but I think Aaron Bummer at home has an ERA over 10, and I think for the season now his ERA is over 10. Kendall Graveman is allowing home runs. That's not good. Uh, just it, it's bad, Jim. Like there's again mm-hmm. no one you could trust. Jimmy Lambert, one of the better performing relievers for the White Sox, and that whole entire meltdown on Saturday was him on the mound when it just got ridiculous and the Rays scored 10 runs in the seventh inning after Lance Lynn held the Rays hitless through six innings. And again, it just it's like it doesn't matter who is coming out of the bullpen. No one is pitching well. No one is covering themselves in glory. How in the world do the White Sox attempt to fix what is going on with this unit? Well, on the day that they lost uh, by nine runs, Charlotte got blown out 20 to one. <laughs> and that to me said, no, don't bother thinking about this. Uh, you know, God helps those who help themselves and <laughs> the White Sox are not going to help themselves. So sit this one out, fans. Like there's no recourse here. I guess Garrett Crochet would be the first step. He made his first rehab appearance seem to go okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't like putting those kind of hopes on somebody coming back from Tommy John surgery, especially somebody with a relative paucity of professional experience that Crochet still has, even though he's done pretty well for himself uh, with the early um, challenges the White Sox have thrown at him. This is just, you know, it, it's a challenge involving his physical state, not just development and, um, you know, I guess mental toughness and whatnot. So, that's, I think, the first step. And then you have, you know, Liam Hendricks coming back from you know, cancer treatments. And who, I mean, like there are precedents for those or even, you know, we know plenty about Tommy John surgery and have an idea of what a roadmap for a typical Tommy John recovery looks like for Hendricks. Uh, coming back from chemotherapy and then having to pitch in ninth innings. Like, I, I don't know if he'll get that job right away, but like, that's what it would take, I think, to turn this bullpen around and, do you really want to place that on him? Like, I mean, if he feels up for it, if he's shown his old stuff, then sure. But right now, like from where we sit, it seems like that's what the White Sox need. But also I just hate putting those expectations on those guys because it represents such a colossal failure that all of a sudden guys who should have had a long runway to get back in the season now have to be instant contributors. Kind of like, you know, talking about the lineup and Oscar Colas and, just wanting him to be blocked so he could play his way into the mix. Instead, he has to play every day. And not only has he had to play, well, he doesn't play every day, but just he has to be the primary solution to right field. And not only that, but he has to back up center field too uh, when Luis Robert is out or being um, just uh, tough on Pedro Grafal, what have you. So that's why, you know, I, I feel bad about Colos the way he starts because he looks like a rookie. And if Crochet comes back looking like a normal Tommy John recovery case where the velocity might be okay, but the command is really lacking. It's going to take a couple months to get back into shape. Like I don't want him to have to suffer because of the, the misfortunes and failures of others. So that's why it gets tough looking at these guys and saying, well, they're the, they represent the upgrades, but also they shouldn't be the upgrades. Like it shouldn't have come to this, but I think from here, just going to require a lot of finger crossing. Aaron Bummer this season. Pitching in games at guarantee rate field, seven appearances, four and a third innings. 
has allowed eight hits, eight earned runs, six walks, and three strikeouts. Opposing hitters are hitting 421 against Aaron Bummer at Guarantee Ray Field. He has a 3.23 whip. Let me repeat that. A 3.23 whip. <laughs> and his ERA at home is 16.62. The best reliever the White Sox have for home games is a guy that wasn't even on the opening day roster, kind of joining the Jake Berger trend. And that's Gregory Santos. Pitching at Gary T. Rayfield. Seven appearances. My breakout pick. <laughs> yeah. Woo! Eight and third innings for Gregory Santos. Eight hits allowed. Just two earned runs, though. Just two walks, 11 strikeouts. Gregory Santos has more strikeouts in eight and a third innings of relief work than Michael Kopech does pitching at Guarantee Rate Field. This bullpen is terrible pitching at Guarantee Rate Field. And... That's where, as a White Sox fan, when you're in the stands and they lift the starting pitching, you're holding your breath because you know a disaster is about to unfold. And that is a terrible feeling for this ball club. And they still have three more home games left in this homestand against the Minnesota Twins, but they go on the road. But after visiting Cincinnati and Kansas City on the road, they come home and they have a nine-game homestand against the Astros, the Guardians, and the Royals. So not necessarily an easy homestand, but they got to figure out how to pitch at home. Like they have allowed 31 home runs already this season, Jim. In 14 home games, they're allowing two or more home runs every home game. Like there's no way for this White Sox offense, which is mostly punchless, could even make up that home run differential. Like it's just mm-hmm. eye opening. And what's funny is that like Lance Lynn's been terrible at home. Uh, even with his past start, Michael Kopech's been bad at home. Lucas Giolito's been great at home. He's the only one that's... He he and Gregory Santos are the only ones pitching well at Gary to Rayfield. Giolito's got a 1.42 ERA over 12 and two-thirds innings with 13 strikeouts and one walk and eight hits allowed, just two earned runs at home this year. So whatever Ethan Katz is doing to help Lucas Giolito prepare for starts at Guarantee Ray Field, it'd be kind of nice if you could help out the rest of the pitching staff pitch better at home. But this is pretty embarrassing and just how bad the bullpen has been for the Chicago White Sox. Again, it is the worst unit in Major League Baseball entering the month of May. They have a 6.86 ERA. And I'm with you, Jim. Like, holding your breath, hoping that Garrett Crochet and Liam Hendricks save the day. By the time they arrive... Where are the White Sox in the standings? Are they 10-plus games back in first place? Like, they're just relievers. They can't save the season for you. So this is where I, I share your concern. Like, they have to pitch better. And if they don't, like, this is where things could get really bad. It's just how I can't believe how awful this unit is. And again, it's like $48 million is dedicated to this bullpen. And... Outside of Gregory Santos or the guys they picked up off the street before the season, everyone stinks. And they've spent so many acquisition periods adding to the bullpen. Like basically every trade deadline and offseason that's, you know, come and gone has been bullpen focused because either the, the guys they acquire are, you know, not what they thought or they can't develop um, like Jose Ruiz or Matt Foster beyond a low leverage role. And so they had to keep finding it. And, you know, that's, you know, 
to go back to recon like fireable fence like yeah i mean like if that's what you spend all your time doing and there there's nothing to show for it then why are you here and you know that also goes back to ethan katz like part of his job is to help find the occasional diamond in the rough and sure you know giolito had some success with him when he wasn't yet in the organization and dylan cease has credited him with uh you know his um you know massive improvements and Reynaldo lopez has something to say about cats too just simplifying the game for him and yeah i mean there there are some success stories here and there but just the big picture of not being able to supply a bullpen with an interesting army year i think would be you know not yeah not asking too much some years you get two some years you get none uh or or nobody who really really sticks beyond like a month but usually i would think like one hey who's this guy a year it would not be too much to ask yeah, just replace, just finding someone to replace the guy that's got a three point two three whip at home would be would be helpful. But man, we'll see if the White Sox bullpen turns around. We're gonna take one more break as uh, we have one more word from our sponsors. But coming up next, we're gonna preview the next series. As again, the American League Central leading Minnesota Twins arrive into town next on the Sox Machine Podcast. Kick off the new year with new gear built to last. Our friends at Shady Rays have you covered from the sun to the slopes with premium polarized shades, customable snow glasses, and much more. Shady Rays is an independent sunglasses company that offers a world-class product that's just as good as any expensive pair you've worn. Durable frames and extremely clear optics for outdoor adventures. And that's not all. Shady Rays offers the most insane protection in all of eyewear. Every pair of sunglasses is backed by lost and broken replacements. If you lose or break your pair, even on day one, they told us they will send you a brand new pair. No questions asked. Wear your Shady Rays with confidence because they have your back long after you purchase. With Shady Rays, you can look good and feel good. To date, they have donated over 20 million meals to fight hunger with Feeding America. If you don't love them, exchange them for a new pair or return them for free within 30 days. There's no risk when you shop with Shady Rays. Their team always has your back. I actually have three pairs from Shady Rays because they just look awesome and I'm very picky about my sunglasses. Sometimes I like to match my sunglasses with my outfit. I could be that way. And exclusively for our listeners, Shady Rays is giving out their best deal of the new year. Go to ShadyRays.com and use promo code SOCKSMACHINE for 50% off two pairs of polarized sunglasses. Again, that's ShadyRays.com, promo code SOCKSMACHINE. Try for yourself the shades rated five stars by over 200,000 people. Welcome back to the Sox Machine Podcast. All right, so the Minnesota Twins come into town. Let's see if the White Sox can win back-to-back games for the first time in 2023. Let's let's have that achievement and get that out of the way. That'll be a nice way to start the month of May. The Twins are 17 and 12. They lead the AL Central. They're three and a half games ahead of the Cleveland Guardians. They're nine games ahead of the Chicago White Sox. They have won six of their last ten games, and they won on Sunday against the Kansas City Royals. Your pitching problems for this series, Tuesday night, it's dog day. First pitch is going to be at 6.10 p.m. Central Time. Michael Kopech is going to be on the mound against Joe Ryan. Joe Ryan has is off to a really good start for the Minnesota Twins. He's 5-0 this year with a 2.81 ERA. On Wednesday, the Minnesota Twins have some roster shuffling going on with their starting rotation. Tyler Molly and Kenta Maeda are dealing with some injuries right now, so we'll figure out 
or we'll find out later and who the twins are going to have starting opposing Dylan Cease, which Dylan Cease will make that start at 6.10 p.m. Central Time. And on Thursday, it's getaway day at 1.10 p.m. Central Time. It'll be Lucas Giolito against Pablo Lopez, which should be a fantastic pitching matchup. Again, as I mentioned before the break, especially at how well Lucas Giolito has been pitching at home for the White Sox to start this season. But the biggest news and maybe the best news for the White Sox coming into this series is that the return of Tim Anderson, Jim, as he returns to the lineup, will get the official roster news sometime on Tuesday and what the White Sox actually do in sorting out the 26-man roster. But with Anderson returning, could he be the spark, Jim, that gets things back on track? I'm hesitant to say yes, even though the record says that, yeah, he's going to be the spark plug because <laughs> God, it's a, uh, you know, they've, they've been a, a mess without him. But having seen what Anderson looked like coming back from the groin injury last year, he, when he gets banged up, it tends to last a while and, and, and tends to show in his game, whether it's he runs less or the power disappears and he settles for opposite field singles or the range isn't quite there. So I'm going to withhold judgment and just see like, are his legs all the way back or is he kind of rushing back because there's a disaster going on in the infield and he needs to be there for it, no matter what kind of shape he's in. Uh, that's really my concern there, but it's going to be welcome to see him back because, you know, second base has not been working out. Uh, Lenin Sosa, who had at least been playing decent defense, like he allowed that sacrifice fly in shallow center field. So he's had, you know, a couple lapses here that, uh, you know, make it hard to even play him. And uh, they, you know, even if Elvis Andrew slides back over to second base and doesn't look as good as he looks at short because he doesn't, you know, he's not responding the ball the same way or doesn't know the angles. Like it's going to be better at the very least. So there's that. But like you mentioned with the bullpen and all the pitching questions, like that's still number one and Anderson can't really help out that much. Um, I'm looking at the twins, by the way, their numbers and like, you know, with Maley and, and, and Maeda out and they're still like hanging in there pitching. Well, like I look at the twins after Wes Johnson left and how better they're, how much better they're pitching now with Wes Johnson out. I really have to ask Dan Hayes, like, was that all, you know, smoke and mirror, not even necessarily smoke and mirrors, but like, what did Wes Johnson just like sell like some magic beans and, uh, and get out while he found a better job because like he was not equipped to coach a major league team uh, because the way they're pitching with him out and, and given like how traumatic everybody thought that was their plans. Um, they really show no ill effects from losing Wes Johnson. No, I mean, it's a 3.28 starting pitching rotation ERA. That's third best in major league baseball. The bullpen ERA is 3.82. That's middle of the road, 15th in major league baseball, which is funny. A 3.82 ERA for the Twins relief core is middle of the pack, but it's three runs better <laughs> than the White Sox, who are at 30th at 6.86. Yep. Uh, yeah, the Twins are pitching very well. So runs are probably going to be premium, just like the past series in Minneapolis. And that's the thing, Jim. Like, it's one thing to be you could still be dour and there's plenty of reason to be dour for the Chicago White Sox, even though they won on Sunday and in the fashion that they won on Sunday, a dramatic victory, but they played the twins tough in Minneapolis. And I'm hoping for one, a better result, a series win. Like that would be fantastic if they could finally get a series win, but I'm expecting them to have these games a lot closer than the Rays series, because in those four games, 
the White Sox were outscored 38 to 20. And two of them were significant blowouts. I, I'm not expecting that in this three-game series against the Twins. I'm expecting more four-to-three types of games. And hopefully the White Sox, especially the bullpen, can hold on a lot better than what we have seen. But it's really going to be imperative that the White Sox get off to fast starts, especially the first five innings, and that the starting pitching of Kopech, Cisa, Giolito delivers here for the White Sox. Uh, so they could put themselves in position to get their first series win. I, I'm expecting a tighter series than what we saw against the Rays. Yeah, the White, White Sox are down to a negative 65 run differential, <laughs> even after finishing plus three. Uh, only, you know, only Oakland is worse, and that is, you know, every time you say only Oakland, mm-hmm. Oakland is worse for like various categories, and you realize like Oakland is not trying, and the White Sox theoretically are. It just, you'd rather them be last than second to Oakland over and over again, because that, that is like being last. Yep. Yep. (sighs) Also one news to pay attention to White Sox fans. Byron Buxton is heating up. He had a big week in the last six games. Buxton is seven for 23. All seven hits have gone for extra bases, four home runs and three doubles and 10 RBIs. We'll see if his hot bat continues and carries over. From Minneapolis to Chicago in this three-game series. Again, we're rooting for the White Sox to win a series soon because after this series, I talk about getaway day on Thursday. (laughs) That is getaway day for me as many of us will be meeting up in Cincinnati next weekend for the White Sox versus Red Series, and that's going to be a fun time, even though the White Sox are a bad baseball team right now or they're a good baseball team playing terrible baseball. However you want to put it, It's still going to be a lot of fun to meet up with a bunch of White Sox fans in Cincinnati. There's a lot of things going on that weekend in Cincinnati, so it should be a really fun time. If you are going to Cincinnati, please hit us up. We've got a couple of spots to pregame before the Friday and Saturday games before the White Sox and the Reds. But that will do it for this episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening and watching. Speaking of the watching, every single of these episodes are now uploaded into our YouTube channel, which you can subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Machine. If you just discovered the podcast, welcome. You can subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts, such as Spotify and Apple Music. You can follow us on Twitter. We're at Machine. That's also our Instagram handle. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Machine underscore Josh. If you enjoy our work and would like to help support us, you can do so at patreon.com slash machine, where our Patreon supporters get exclusive content. They get ad-free versions of the podcast and website. And when we have new Socks Machine swag, we're the first ones to receive it. Monthly plans start at $2, or you can save with the annual subscription. Again, you can sign up at patreon.com slash machine. The Socks Machine Podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com. You're on for all of the Chicago White Sox baseball and part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening and watching. <laughs>